Welcome back to the database with Rabbi Yoshua Eisenberg. You are listening to Half Torah, the Sheer series which explores the connections between the Parsha Shavua and its corresponding Half Torah. Thus, Half Torah, Half Navi. And this week's Parsha is Parsha's Chayesara, and with Parsha's Chayesara, we have the second narrative Half Torah. And it's also the second Half Torah, by the way, to come from Sefer Malachim. Last week we were looking at a haftar from Sefer Malachim Beis. This week we go back in time to Sefer Malachim Aleph. But before we do that, I want to actually go back to last week's haftar to just deliver a little bit of an addendum, a sequel, if you will, to that which we discussed last week. And it has to do with the difference in tradition between the Ashkenazic haftar and the tradition of Svartim, the community of Frankfurt am Main, and Chabad Hasidim. So there is a difference in where the Haftarah ends. And I wanted to share this point, and I only remembered it over Shabbos, and the Hashkacha Pratis was that the Rav at Maishul, Rav Moshe Shrek, so at the time, he, before his drasha, made this particular point right after we read the Haftarah, and as we were reading the Haftarah, I was thinking about this point and how I wanted to share it on the database, and then, right after, he shared the very same idea to which Baruch um, Shekivanti, I was mechavin, and the idea has to do with the very strange ending of the Haftarah, not according to our Ashkenazic tradition, but according to these other traditions. If you look in the art scroll, it says uh, where these other traditions, where they end the Haftarah, we mentioned last week that the second story that's featured in the Haftarah has to do with Elisha and the Shunamis, where he resuscitates, he revives her dead child, the child that he blessed her to have. We spoke about the connections between the Parsha and the Haftarah, of course, but what we didn't speak about is where this other tradition ends the Haftarah. See, because the most climactic part of the Haftarah is, in fact, that which I just described, that Elisha revives the child of, of the Shunamis, the woman from Shunim, and this climax does not even make it into the Haftarah, according to the Sephardic tradition and the others who have the same tradition. They end the Haftarah when the Shunamis is getting ready to pack out, after her child passes out, passes away, as she's getting ready to go back to find Alicia, and she's leaving her husband, so she's in a conversation with her husband, and the conversation quickly, um, it's, it's a very short conversation, and a very, once again, a very strange ending, what happens. So it says, um, the Pasuk says, in Pasuk Chav Beis, in Malachim Beis, this is Malachim Beis, Parak Dalad, Pasuk Chav Beis, and it says, So the Shunamis says to her husband, Send me one of the attendants, and one of the she donkeys, I'm going to run over to the man of God, the Navi, and then I'm going to return. Right, and we actually have a Lushan that reminds us a little bit of the Akedah, which we spoke about last week when Avram and Yitzhak are on their way, and they say to the attendants, Okay, listen, we're going to come back. Um, and interestingly enough, we have that lush on here, and I'm going to be right back. And um, all the all the husband knows is that her the son passed out, but he doesn't know exactly what happened. He doesn't know that he has died. Vayomer, and he says the husband says, Madua adolechas, why are you going? Madua adolechas, a love, hayom, why are you going today? Lo chodesh velo shabbos. It's neither rosh chodesh or shabbos. There's no special um, special yom tov today. Vatomer, and she says shalom. She says. Everything's fine. Shalom. Everything's peaceful. Don't worry. And, you know, no, no, no more questions. And then she's on her way. And that's when the Haftarah ends. So we don't get to the, you know, to the Eitzah. We don't get to the whole 
scene of the Tchiyas Mason that takes place, and it's just very strange. Why does the Haftarah end at that point? And so, um, so Rabbi Shrek had asked um, a Svarti from his old Kihila, where he used to dive, and why the Haftarah ends at that particular point, according to that tradition. Our tradition seems to make much more sense. And, of course, if we go with the thematic parallels, which we mentioned last week, it would have also made more sense to end the Haftarah where we did. But the interesting, um, the interesting takeaway um, was, and again, this is the point which I was mechaving, that you, um, the, you could end the Haftarah. We always make sure to end off the Haftarah on a positive note. And this, in and of itself, is, you could argue, a positive note. It is a definitive ending. It's an ending that says, yes, everything is going to be okay. The Amunah Pshuta, the Patachon of, listen, if if you're doing what you're supposed to do, you go to the you go to seek Eitzah from the Talmud Chacham from the Gadol Ador. You're going to the Navi and you're going to ask him a question. He gave you a bracha that you're going to have a child. And you have to go into it knowing that whatever it is, it is shalom. Everything is going to be okay. And in a certain sense, that's how Avraham went to do the Akeda, not knowing if Yitzhak was going to ever make it back to life, but knowing that he was going according to the Ratzon Hashem, knowing that he was going by Hashem's directive, everything is going to be Shalom, and you know what? I'll come back if I come back. We'll come back if we come back. But that's it. We're on our way. Everything is fine, and that's it. And that's the end of the Haftarah. That's really all you need. Okay, um, I thought I would just spend a couple of minutes on this very fascinating um, other, um, this fascinating alternative Haftarah ending, um, which ends it a bit early, but ends it, even before we get to see the fireworks of the Tchias Mason, but we know that everything is going to be shalom. Everything is going to be peace. Okay, that's, uh, that, that just um, gives us a little bit on, on last week's Haftarah. But now we can go into this week's Haftarah, which once again is from Malachim Aleph. And it goes from the very beginning of Malachim Aleph. It's the beginning of the story. Malachim Aleph Aleph. So the first parak of Malachim Aleph, and goes all the way to Pasuk Lamed Aleph. So we have a 31 Pasuk Haftarah. And... If we want to try to understand exactly where the connections begin, we could say that if we look at Parshas Chayesara, we know that Chayesara describes the aging Avraham Avinu as he seeks out an appropriate wife for his son and successor, who is Yitzchak Avinu. We know he does that through his servant Eliezer. So if you look at the Haftarah, which once again, from Malachim Aleph, Aleph, that describes similarly the aging David HaMelech, as he prepares to turn over the kingship, his, his, his Malchus, to his son and successor. And we know that's supposed to be Shlomo HaMelech. However, that is not granted from the Haftarah, at least not from the beginning. Because if you go back to the Parsha, we know that Yitzchak would ultimately continue the role as our forefather and the progenitor to what would become the Bnei Israel. So we would hope that David HaMelech's successor would assume the role as king and leader of the same people. But if you look closely at the Haftarah, maybe there's something more that connects the two. Is it just about succession, father to son, father to son? Or is there perhaps something more? So while succession of these spiritual legacies is definitely the the obvious link between Chayesara and the beginning of Malachim, we could argue like we've done in the past, that maybe we could have suggested a better Haftorah choice. There are other texts, even in Novi, that can easily project the same theme of succession from, you know, from father to son or, or um, teacher to student. All right, so for example, in the beginning of Sefer Shmuel, 
we have Eli Kohen as he's growing old and he needs to be succeeded by his disciple Shmuel Hanavi. And we also have in Navi where Shmuel himself, he grows old and he has to appoint a king, Shaul HaMelech, to lead the people when his sons, um, also similar to Eli's sons, fail to be the proper leaders. So they have to appoint a new leader and make sure that the next leader is going to be a good one. Or if we want to go back to Elisha, right later in Malachim, Eliyahu Navi is going to pass the mantle to Elisha. So the question is, what makes our Haftarah's succession story so much more fundamentally connected to Chaye Sarah? And besides for that question, we could perhaps ask another question, that even while we could suggest that Chaye Sarah deals a lot with succession, right, in finding the new uh, the, the the new matriarch, right? We've, we have, we go from Avram to Yitzchak, but also we have to go from Sarah to Rivka. But that particular prat, right? Not just going from father to son, but looking at the actual search story in Chai Sarah, we, we know that that focuses more heavily on the theme of seeking out the perfect wife, right? What does it take to be the right wife to marry Yitzchak? And if that's true, we could have also found other passages in Navi that would fit that theme. right? So the Haftarah selection could have been about, for example, David HaMelech's marriage to the righteous Avigail, who was a woman who demonstrated exemplary chesed in spite of the fact that she was living in the house of a jerk like Naval. And much like Rivka Emenu in our Sidra, Avigail, in spite of the fact that she had grown up in the house with the you know with with, uh, with a sleazy person Rivka grew up with Lavan, and and Avigail grew up with Naval and there are sources out there I believe in Kabbalah um, or at least in the Svarim Akedoshim that uh, you know the Bali Musser they suggest that Naval was actually a, a Gilgal of Lavan so there's definitely that connection there and Avigail shows herself to be a woman of Chesed a woman of of alacrity, just like Rivka. So that would have been a great text to complement our Parsha. So obviously none of these stories that I just mentioned are featured in our Haftarah. Instead, we hear just the story surrounding David HaMelech's succession. And if we look more directly at that Haftarah, it really revolves around two sons of David HaMelech, two contenders for the throne. We have, on the one hand, the handsome and arrogant Adonia versus the genuine man who ultimately becomes Shlomo HaMelech. And truthfully, as I had mentioned earlier, Shlomo HaMelech was the one that was promised the throne, but when you look at the Haftarah at first, it wasn't granted. And it really requires our further eon, our further investigation. What is the story truly about? So the Navi describes how, in this particular story, Adonio, he does some campaigning and gains a following, and he continually asserts what, in his mind, is the fact that he's going to be succeeding David HaMelech. And this is completely to the disapproval of Nasan Hanavi and Bathsheba, who is the wife of, uh, wife of David HaMelech and the mother of Shlomo. Despite the fact that David HaMelech had sworn that Shlomo would ultimately succeed him, David appears quite aloof and unconcerned about Adonio's campaigning. And as such, Nassan and Bathsheba methodically discuss how they can properly bring the matter to David's attention so that he can publicly address it and denounce it. 
And ultimately, Nassan would arrange that Bathsheba present her case to David HaMelech, whereupon Nassan would enter the room and interrupt mid-conversation to supplement her case. And the urgency would be received, and David HaMelech would have to do something. He would have to respond. So Bathsheba would go in first. She would explain what exactly is happening. And just in case there's any doubt to the matter, Nassan would come in separately and say, Oh my gosh, David, did you hear what's going on? Did you hear the news? So the question is, what makes this particular succession story of David HaMelech an ideal reading selection for Chayisara? So what I want to argue is that more than the mere theme of succession, the bond that this narrative shares with our Sidra is the importance of the process, the thought and careful planning that goes into assuring that the correct successor is not only recognized, but is spiritually protected. We find this in more than one spot in Parshas Chayisara. So let's go after the Parsha and its namesake, Chayisara, the life of Sarah. So Sarah made his last major contribution to the Abrahamic mission, which is recorded in the Torah, is her expulsion of Hagar and Yishmael back in last week's Parsha, Parsha's Vayera. And she, through her intuition and insight, realized immediately that Yishmael's proximity to Yitzchak would hinder the spiritual growth and contaminate the legacy that she and Avram had, had worked tirelessly to build. A legacy of Avodah Hashem, divine service. She knew that this could not happen, and she knew that Yishmael and Yitzchak could not be near each other. Yishmael could not be a successor with Yitzchak in this particular mission, and anything that would call the succession into question needed to be addressed immediately. So Sarah said it like it was, that he had to be out of the house. He had to be gone. Yishmael had to leave. And much like David, Avraham needed to know who his main child and successor would be, but some preventative measures still needed to be exacted. Now that's all in Parsha's Vayera. So if you're still following, maybe this story would also be an appropriate um, Haftarah to Vayera. Now we already went to great lengths to explain how the last week's Haftarah was appropriate for it, the theme of parenthood and the right kind of parenthood. So Chayesara is really the Parsha of succession. So Vayera sets the stage for Chayesara, all right? So Vayera establishes Yitzchak is the one. And in Chayesara, we know that Yitzchak is the one. And we've now protected um, Yitzchak. And so now Yitzchak is solidified. He's engraved as the successor to Avraham. And even though that happens in Vayera, we're going to see that we're not quite finished when we get to Chayesara. Because now once we've hit Chaye Sarah, Sarah Imenu is now gone. All we have is the memories of the life of Sarah. And the question now is who will be there to reassure that the spiritual mission of Avram will still remain unhindered by some kind of contamination during the succession process? Who will assist Yitzchak in continuing this delicate mission? Or perhaps in different words, who will carry on the Chaye Sarah, the life of Sarah? Thus, in our Sidra, the Torah tells us not just about Eliezer's selection of Rivka as the match for Yitzchak, but look more closely. It describes the entire thought process. What Eliezer's criteria were for the appropriate successor, not just to Avram Avinu, but to Sarah Imenu. The effortful planning 
and divine input that went into making sure that this decision would be a precise and unmistakable one. Eliezer was looking for not just the match for Yitzchak, but the right filler for Sarah, a woman whose life would be devoted to continuing and, more importantly, guiding that Abrahamic mission. Now, Eliezer sought out a woman of such virtue for Yitzchak, and he found her in Rivka. And very quickly, the Torah attests to Rivka's perfect fitting into Sarah's shoes, as it tells us that Yitzchak brought Rivka into Sarah's tent. And only then was Yitzchak comforted from his mother's passing. So clearly, with Rivka's selection, we have a befitting successor secured in our story. But, if Rivka's perfectness for the role was not clear enough, the Torah would soon demonstrate, and Parshas told us next week, that in fact, Rivka herself, in Rivka, we find also a unique Sarah-like intuition, a discernment to recognize and protect the next successor. Think about it. After living around the likes of the sly con man and her brother Lavan, Rivka is able to see right through her son Esav's facade and selects the wholesome Yaakov to secure Yitzchak's blessings, something which we know Yitzchak on his own would have otherwise failed to do. Interestingly, there's a Balaturim that points out that when in next week's Parsha, Parsha's Toldos, the Torah tells us that the wives, the idolater wives of Esav, they're a source of bitterness to Yitzchak and to Rivka. So the Pasuk says, L'Yitzchak Ula Rivka. And the Balaturim points out that that word, Ula Rivka, appears only one more time in the Mesorah, and it appeared earlier in the Torah in our Parsha this week, Parsha's Chaye Sara where the Torah says, Ula Sarah, ach, and to Sarah there was a brother, Ushmo Lavan, and his name was Lavan. So, what's significant about that? So, the Balturim uses this to explain why Rivka didn't go blind, even though Yitzchak went blind from the idolatry, from the smoke, the incense offerings of the wives. So, that made Yitzchak go blind, but it didn't make Rivka go blind. Why didn't it make Rivka go blind? If they were a source of bitterness both to Yitzchak and Ula Rivka to Rivka as well. So the Balaturim says the reason why it didn't affect Rivka was because Rivka grew up with this. Why? Because Ula Rivka, ach, Lavan. Rivka grew up and in her home there was Lavan who was doing idolatry all the time. And so because of that, Rivka was able to see right through it. We see the seeds to what Rivka would be able to see through in Parshas Toldos. Those seeds are planted right here in Chayisara. The fact that Rivka is able to discern and notice a spoiled, a spiritually spoiled child who doesn't belong. And that, once again, the, the, the beginning, the roots for that are in our Parsha. So what emerges is that just as Avraham saw no threat in Yishmael, Yitzchak as well saw no issue in allowing Esav to succeed him as well. According to at least most of the Mepharshim, Yitzchak was ready to hand the mantle over to Esav. I will admit that there is a Basilevi that explains in a very compelling way that Yitzchak never meant to hand the mantle over to, to Esav, that really Yitzchak was going to put Yaakov first, but he was going to give Esav a very important bracha as well. And Rivka said, no, even the bracha that you plan to give to Esav, a materialistic bracha, that also needs to go to Yaakov, that Yaakov has to entirely take the mission on his shoulders. There should not be any kind of partnership between Yaakov and Esav, just like there should be no partnership between Yitzchak and Yishmael, at least not at the time 
in Parsha's Vayera. Sarah was not ready for that. So in the same vein, Rivka is saying there is no room for a partnership between Yaakov and Esav, and Parsha's told us that's what Rivka is essentially saying. And go back to our Haftarah, where we have two people contending over the, th- the throne and the crown, and we know that as a rule, we don't have two malachim wearing the same crown to quote the moon from the Medrash and Parsha's Voracious. But take a look back at our, our stories now. It could be that Avraham and Yitzchak's their quote-unquote aloofness, if we can call it that, or maybe that which they were spiritually not attuned to see what their wives were able to see. So their quote-unquote aloofness to their respective sons' spiritually deficient ways, whether it's Ishmael or Esav, that is perhaps repeated in the times of David, as the Navi specifies that David failed to rebuke Adonia. It says it beferish, Pasuk Vav, where it says, V'lo atzavoav Adonia's father never made him sad. He never he never disappointed him. He always gave him what he wanted. Lay more to say, why are you doing like this? He was good looking, and and he was and he was born after Avshalom. This child was never properly rebuked. He didn't have exactly the right kind of chinuch that he needed. But it's great that Baruch Hashem in the nick of time, reason and discernment, they chime in for Avraham, Yitzchak, and David Hamelech. Each, when spiritually informed individuals arrive on the scene and save the legacy from falling into the wrong hands, Sarah revolutionized this need for all spiritual impediments to be noted and separated from the successor. Eliezer would take a page out of the same playbook to assist Avraham in his selection of Rivka, and Rivka herself would do the same thing when helping Yitzchak choose the right successor. This was the role of Rivka, and this was the essence of the life of Sarah. And finally, David HaMelech, he needs some assistance. And here in our succession story, at the beginning of Malachim, we have not only a tale of torches passing and legacies being forged, but we have a continuation of the necessary thought and intervention that is often still needed to assure that the future succession is determined properly and remains unaffected by outside influences. We have Nasan and Basheva working together to make sure that the throne is protected. And as David's days on the throne are numbered, just as the days of both Avram and Yitzhak's lives were, the crucial question regarding the next successor arises, and it lingers over the entire kingdom of Am Yisrael. And with this spiritual succession hanging in the balance, Nazan and Bathsheba, much like Eliezer and Rivka, enter the scene tapping into the Chaye Sarah, the life of Sarah, to carefully reassure that there is a successful succession. Now you could ask the question once again of, okay, well this story should then be a great Haftarah for Vayera, or maybe even for next week's Parsha, for Parsha's Toldos, right, where we see in the, in the narratives these questions arising. But I would argue that to miss the fact that this is a challenge in the absence of Sarah Imenu, and that once again, as I had mentioned, that the seeds are planted in Chai Sarah for determining the person who will be able to do this same tactful trick, this proper cutting and pasting of the right individual to lead the nation. So we could only appreciate that when we are properly eulogizing Sarah Imenu, when she's gone, when we're reflecting on the life of Sarah. Bayera describes parenthood, 
And next week's Parsha Parsha's told us, well, you'll have to wait till next week to see exactly what the Haftarah is there and why it is. But for all of these stories that will take place in next week and for all of the stories that took place last week, the reflection and the foresight for next week is very important right here in Parsha's Chayesara, where we, if you want to understand next week's Parsha, you have to understand Chayesara, as the Baal Turim shows us. You want to understand how Rifko was able to do what she was able to do next week when, de- when deciding between Yaakov and Esav. And not only deciding between them, but deciding how to methodically maneuver things so that Yitzchak would see it as well. If you want to understand that, you have to understand Chayesar. You have to understand the process of choosing a successor, which is carefully and beautifully described in Abraparsha this week with Eliezer determining who's going to marry Yitzchak and who's going to fulfill the role of Sarah. And in order to appreciate what Sarah had done in Parsha's Vayera, you also have to see it in Chayesara when Sarah is gone. Because what happens when Sarah is gone? Not only do we have to find the right wife for Yitzchak, but again, the next mother. It's interesting to note, and this I've heard from uh, Rav Mendel Blachman from KBY, so he explained how we see Avraham doing his best when Sarah's gone to make sure that it's known that Yitzhak is his successor. He gets remarried to Keturah, has children, and sends the children away with gifts. But everything else, the brachos, the succession, the mantle of his Abrahamic mission that goes to Yitzhak. And Avraham only knows this because Hashem said, listen to Sarah, do what Sarah says. And we can only appreciate that when Sarah is gone, when we are now looking around to find out who can do the same thing that Sarah did. And we find that once again in Rivka. Eliezer finds it in Rivka. And through that, we can appreciate the past and the future. We appreciate what happened in Vayera. We appreciate what will happen in Parshas Toldos. And again, the search, all, all of it takes place. And not only the search, but the find. Right? So, which, by the way, the measure says was Avram's hesped for Sarah Imenu. The whole story in Chaye Sarah is about Eshashchayel Miyimtza. Who is going to be that woman? Where can we find her? Who can do the things that Sarah can? And it's only Rifka Imenu. And she, once again, is selected in our Parsha. And this really, I think, um, weaves together not only several parshios, but the two stories that we find in our parsha this week and the Haftarah. And hopefully um, you've, you've been compelled, you've been a little bit convinced of this selection as a Haftarah for our parsha. And there's definitely some food for thought for us in terms of when we are trying to be mechanich our own children and we think about the influences that surround them and what can possibly get in the way, chas v'shalom, and what do we need for our children so that they can succeed, each in their own mission? Right? We don't really have the same sensitivity in terms of who's going to be the, your, the, the Yarshim, who's going to be your issue. Um, we, we hope that all of our children will be successful. Um, but certainly to understand the roles and to understand the sensitivity of weeding out spiritual impediments and, of course, all the nuance and subtlety that goes into protecting our own spiritual legacies and the legacies that we each share in the Shalshelis Hamasora as members of Klal Yisrael. 
want to wish you a wonderful weekend, a wonderful Shabbos, and thank you for joining us here at the database.